you don't see what's happening as a result of this. And as a result of this, nursing homes and other healthcare facilities, but I would argue predominantly nursing homes, these companies, these providers can't be held accountable for negligent acts. This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we'll take a closer look at a healthcare immunity provision the North Carolina legislature passed last year. For the News and Observer, I'm Lucille Sherman, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. It's Friday, May 28th. This week, I published a story on the healthcare immunity provision I mentioned earlier, and it was really inspired by the work that Sean Campbell, a former fellow with ProPublica, did in January. The story also published in the News and Observer, and it brought to light this provision that I hadn't noticed before. I'm excited to bring him on the show today. Sean Campbell, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, you're a adjunct professor at Columbia and a former fellow at ProPublica. And last or this past January, you published a story that really interested me about in an immunity provision that the North Carolina legislature passed last year. The first time I read your story, I was partially angry at myself for not having caught that story, but also really impressed with the amount of digging and the work that you did um, to expose this. Could you tell me from your perspective kind of a little bit about what that story was? Yeah, thanks, Lucille. Uh, So that story was about North Carolina's first lawsuit that was brought forward that really challenged the state's nursing home immunity provisions. And it dealt with this woman, um, Palestine Howes, and her daughter, uh, Lisa Howes, and her sisters, who uh, um, were bringing a lawsuit against uh, this nursing home, Trayburn. So Palestine was a double amputee. She had diabetes, and she had uh, contracted an infection as a result of a bed sore that she had had for months and just had been growing progressively worse. Uh, Eventually, she died uh, from the infection, despite there being recommendations that she receive uh, progressively more um, strong antibiotics and her family, her daughters, asking that she be transferred to a hospital. The thing that happened, the thing that kind of makes this complicated and why it was a story was that uh, she died during COVID. She had no COVID-related issues. Um, they even did a COVID test, and she tested negative for COVID. Uh, but in North Carolina, they the state has passed these immunity provisions that basically cover nursing homes and healthcare facilities from anything uh, um, from any liabilities during the pandemic that don't ex- the, up to the point of gross negligence. Uh, as long as that negligence doesn't deal with uh, staffing and staffing-related issues, which is interesting because when you're in a nursing home, you can just say about anything is related to uh, a staffing issue since staff take care of virtually everything within that a nursing home and they're constantly uh, dealing with staffing issues. Um, so Palestine died. The lawsuit was brought forward, uh, and the family was very much concerned not only about getting some sorts of um, justice for their mother's death because they felt they had been wronged because she they had been asking for her to be transferred to a hospital and she hadn't been transferred. And this is documented in 
their notes uh, in the, the facilities, medical notes, but also just to learn more. There's very little that can be learned from or comparatively little that can be learned from the outside, even by a lawyer, until things go to trial where there's things like discovery and other issues, or not other issues, but other laws and legal proceedings that allow for both sides to really learn more about the case at hand uh, and what was going on. So without being able to bring a lawsuit forward, there's a lot that we just won't be able to know uh, outside of Trayburn. And further beyond that, when I really looked into what was happening in the state and how these laws would have gotten passed, uh, it seemed that the provision was tacked on the first COVID package for the state and the immediate legislation was introduced fairly late in the process. Uh, there have been some people that objected to it, but it was still just pushed through with the uh, proponents of the immunity provisions, essentially saying that this only is for minor instances, uh, small uh, issues. We don't want uh, these frivolous lawsuits being brought forward during COVID uh, just because something minor happens. It's going to be a pandemic. There's going to be a lot of things that will happen, and we only want the most severe things to happen. Um, whereas, you know, as as you know from your reporting, and there's also my reporting, uh, that's not the case. People can die. People can be maimed. Um, the fact of the matter is that it provides pretty much blanket immunity. And it's not just me saying this. I talked to a number of experts uh, within the state of North Carolina and outside the state of North Carolina. Um, and they pretty much came to the same conclusion. It's going to be extremely hard to, as the law is written now, uh, extremely hard to really hold nursing homes accountable. Yeah, so you're right. This provision was passed in May. I think it was signed into law in May, just a few days, as you reported, after it was introduced. It was sort of buried in this giant piece of legislation with so much else happening and really kind of slid through quickly because... The legislature got in all these working groups and worked out the provisions that were going to be in the law ahead of the time that they even introduced it. So they had kind of done all of this behind the scenes stuff and then introduced it and it flew through and passed, which makes me wonder, how did you stumble upon this or how did you kind of get into this story considering it was buried <laughs> in a lot of ways? Yeah, uh, so... I've been working on nursing homes um, in, uh, before. I've been working on this story, uh, and I was actually closing out a story uh, centered in New Jersey around a company, Care One. Um, and as I was doing reporting on that story, I was talking with a number of people, a number of experts, much like I did for this North Carolina story. And I ended up talking to this lawyer, Ernie Tosh, um, who told me that he was in contact with this other uh, lawyer, Elizabeth Todd. Uh, that he had a case that was um, very interesting. She had a case that was very interesting. Um, and I was looking at immunity at the time. Um, I was really struck by, like, North Carolina, New York, New Jersey, both have these immunity provisions, or at least at the time had them. Um, he said he was working with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth uh, had this case that was very much about immunity, and they were concerned about immunity. Uh, so I spoke with her um, probably in. Uh, early June, and she had told me about her case. Uh, and even though I knew this was North Carolina, it wasn't, you know, miles away from New Jersey and Care One had nothing to do with the story I was working on. 
it sounded pretty egregious from what we had talked about and even some of the details uh, that I was able to gather. So from that, um, I said, well, let's stay in touch and let me close out this story and then I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be back at you. Uh, and as soon as I closed out my care of one story, I then um, reached out to Elizabeth and then started speaking with Lisa. Uh, the other component, kind of the history and how North Carolina really had this immediate legislation pushed through was more through the digging and talking with people and talking with advocates, uh, also talking with just other experts in the state and really trying to piece together how something as expansive as this could be passed. Um, and not only did I learn from talking with lobbyists, advocates, experts, uh, that the law is fairly expansive, um, but also where to look for some recordings. So I listened to hours of recordings for the um, state legislatures. Uh, but even before it was introduced, the lobbies themselves had been pushing for this legislation to go through, uh, predominantly nursing home lobbyists for certain provisions, but the healthcare lobbyists in general, and that they had actually copied New York's legislation, which many people thought was extremely expansive. Um, many people were against, uh, and they saw it there. They used that as a template, um, virtually word for word, used that to um, be introduced into North Carolina. So that's kind of how everything came together. Yeah, that's really helpful and impressive um, because wrangling that, I'm sure, was a lot of work. Um, a couple things. One, didn't North or didn't New York kind of water down that same immunity provision later in the summer after North Carolina passed it? Is my memory serving me correctly? Yes. Uh, so uh, during that, after New York had passed their legislation and it was put into a big kind of omnibus bill, much like North Carolina, the uh, New York Times had written a story essentially highlighting that and that the um, lobbyists had claimed it as a win that we were able to get this legislation through. That press release has since been taken down, but a number of people read it. And uh, it was also written about in other uh, reports and things. So there was a lot of backlash against the New York law. And from that backlash, there was really a desire to to, to change it because it, it, a lot of people thought it was way too expansive. And there was uh, also a, this was in the original um, provision that was introduced in North Carolina. There was a component that uh, absolved healthcare facilities up to criminal negligence. Uh, and that I believe was struck from the final passing of the North Carolina uh, immunity legislation, um, which I think that was the only thing that was struck, but gross negligence is in a way often considered uh, criminal or can be considered criminal. Um, and as long as you can say that staffing was affected or staff work everywhere, uh, then you're fine with gross negligence. So, Have you kept up with the Howes case since your story published? I think your story published in January and then a judge heard the case in February, right? Yeah, I, I kept up with the case. Uh, and I even spoke with Elizabeth a, a few weeks ago about it. Uh, and to my understanding, the judge pretty much dismissed it from the bench, uh, basically saying what we foreshadowed a bit uh, in the January story that um, the any lawyer bringing forward one of these cases is going to face an uphill battle. Uh, and 
just the language in the immunity provision is so strong that there's a fairly strong chance that it could just be dismissed outright based on its its words. And that's pretty much what was happening here. I read the case and that's essentially what the lawyer argued. Um, you know, it says very much in the language that this is immunity, immunity is immunity during this time period. And that's what it is. If the legislature wanted something different, then they would have written something different in. Um, neglected to mention that the largest sector that donates money to North Carolina's legislature is the healthcare uh, sector. But, you know, they have their reasons. Uh, some good, I spoke with some legislators as well. Um, there's plenty of reasons why something like this would be passed. I think it is questionable that it is still in effect, being that we have a vaccine uh, that has been proven to be effective. And uh, we've seen through not just my stories, but other people's stories, kind of the real harm that has been happening in nursing homes during the pandemic. And it's an industry that even during the best of times would have some pretty horrible stories. Uh, and it might be the one sector where you don't want to incentivize them to not do everything they can to protect their residents. Yeah. So right around the time that, or a month after, I think the judge just outright dismissed that case, North Carolina extended the immunity provision, which I've talked to, you know, Elizabeth Todd, who also handled um, a case I wrote about this week. But it seems like all in all, attorneys handling these cases expected this provision to last as long as North Carolina's coronavirus state of emergency lasted. But in the original language, it was supposed to end in December 2020. The date is included in the original language. And then in March, the legislature passed a bill that said, okay, for real, <laughs> this is going to continue until the state of emergency is over. Mm-hmm. And then... A few weeks after that, New York completely repealed their law. So the timing of all of this is interesting. You know, your story came out in January. The judge dismissed the case. Then North Carolina extended the provision and New York repealed theirs. Um, So it's interesting to me. We're in, you know, we're well over a year after this legislation was passed. And it's been, you know, brought to attention in other states and here. And it's still... It's still um, in effect. What do you what do you make of that? Yeah, um, and one clarification I think on that point was the original language was ambiguous as to whether it meant state of emergency or end of the year, and I believe the legislation just cleared up that ambiguity to say nope until the state of emergency is done. So um, yeah, so for that, you know, I talked to experts about this, and I looked into the history of North Carolina's legislation in dealing with healthcare practices and the state has one of the uh, more expansive protections for healthcare facilities. Um, and that goes back a number of years. And when I was speaking with experts in the state, one of the concerns that people had, and I feel like they were, uh, um, I, I feel fine in saying that it is a concern that a lot of people had was that this immunity provision wasn't just going to be a temporary measure, that it was essentially breaking the ice to continue a path towards more expansive protections 
for healthcare facilities and nursing homes in the state. The lobby had been successful in getting things passed in um, years ago. So uh, by having this moment, having this pandemic to introduce something like this, that once it's on the books, uh, also North Carolina being a state where people are, um, the, the culture of the state is very much against suing and to put forward uh, legislation that would say, well, this is just going to uh, stop frivolous lawsuits and any ambulance chasing lawyers from filing uh, against the our healthcare heroes. Um, they could use this to just keep pushing it forward or get some more uh, protections on the books. So what um, you know, I also kind of thought about and wrote in a little bit in that January story uh, was that people were concerned that this could just be the first step in ex- continuing expansion of protection for healthcare facilities and the changes where we see other states rolling these back, like New York that started this whole thing, and North Carolina continuing forward, um, really kind of uh, suggests that that original concern by experts within the state um, might be coming to pass. Uh, it, it's happened before. Who's to say it wouldn't happen again? And like I said earlier, you know, the healthcare sector is a very big donor to politicians in the state of North Carolina. Yeah, and thinking about sort of where we go from here, um, and like you said, how this could be used as um, a basis of doing something more expansive moving forward. I can hear how lawmakers would present this in a committee meeting in my mind already. You know, they would say something like, "We, we actually passed something similar like this last year, it was effective just for coronavirus, but it's just going to be expanded a little bit more. You all voted for this the first time around. Let's just pass this again. Um, And that's, you're so right, like passing these kinds of things in a smaller form and expanding it moving forward is really easy to do, especially when lawmakers wrap sort of the language around broadening things like this in the, we've passed this before, support it, it's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say that that's how laws get passed and laws get strengthened. Uh, and I think, you know, even outside of North Carolina, there is a possibility that what happens in North Carolina expands beyond North Carolina. Much like New York, North Carolina's law was based off of New York's law. Once one law gets passed in one state, in one area, that then can be used as a template by other lobbyists in other states to mimic and copy um, or to use as a basis. Like, look what's happening in North Carolina. They seem to be fine with it. Their legislature passed it unanimously. They got a lot of support from their constituency. So why don't we pass the same thing here? Uh, But those kinds of analyses and arguments are very superficial uh, by design, really, uh, where you don't see what's happening as a result of this. And as a result of this, nursing homes and other healthcare facilities, but I would argue predominantly nursing homes, since that's an industry that has always had a problem. There's federal legislation passed because nursing homes were so problematic in dealing with their residents that these companies, these providers can't be held accountable for 
negligent acts. Yeah, yeah. On that note, which I feel like is a really good way to wrap this up, thank you so much for your time, Sean, and thanks for sort of paving the way on this story. It's a really important one. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thank you for reaching out to me. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.